Welcome to the Woodshop Live podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined by Hui Huen from The Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Sean. How's it going? Doing well. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's one and only Woodshop. Hey. How is it going with you? Oh, just peachy. <laughs> Glad to hear. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops, right or wrong. If you'd like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. And we want to welcome the new patron, Jason Rufino. Please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife if you would like to show your support. And stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our shops. But with that out of the way, let's get right into it. Hui. What do you have for us? Okay, this question is from Joey at Winter Wolf Woodworking, a repeat questioner of the podcast. Thank you, Joey, for sending in your questions. He says, is he, is he, is he paying you off on the side, Hui? <laughs> I'll tell you how much at the end of the $3. <laughs> $3. <laughs> Woo-hoo! The, page, the Patreon. Uh, Hello, gentlemen. This question is for all three of you. I have a two-horsepower shop fox table saw and wanted to add onto it by upgrading the fence and possibly building things into the wings. Have some trouble deciding on what fence when I realize this is a trend for me making these types of improvements everywhere. So what are the best third-party upgrades you've made to tools in your shop, excluding the obvious things like the Super Incro Miter Sled 9000? That's, that's funny, funny, Joey. Uh, maybe a two-answer format, best made shop improvement versus best purchase improvement. What are the things you added that made life so much better? Thank you, boys. Keep up the great work. So uh, for me, it's easy in terms of the shop made improvement. It would be my uh, assembly table, my outfit assembly table. Easily the best shop made improvement that I made myself. Um, that being said, I did not actually make the uh, orthogonal holes, the three-quarter, uh, 20-millimeter hole dog holes that are in there. Um, I actually had a CNC shop do that for me. But uh, but overall, I use that thing all the time, whether it be glue-ups or uh, for clamping things, uh, machine operations, sometimes even for small hand tool things, things that aren't going to require a, a lot of abuse or a pounding. Um, I love that thing. It's a, it's a great size. I think it's like three and a half by six feet. And, uh, and it, it's pretty much the central location of my shop in terms of best purchase improvement. I will actually say, uh, I'll go with the bandsaw. I love the, uh, the bow products feather pro. I think it's called that thing is amazing. I think all of us have used that at some point. But for resawing and for other things, I've used it for on the router table. I've also used it on the table saw. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful and not that expensive piece of uh, third party shop improvement uh, purchase. Are you talking about the featherboard or the resaw fence? Uh, <coughs> not the resaw fence. I'm talking about this the featherboard. I think it's called the feather. Pro. Well, is it the feather pro? It Whatever. Might be the feather pro. They have like a tall one too for the. Yeah, it's, it's it looks like a squeegee. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. thing is great. I love it, and <laughs> it's it's a relatively inexpensive uh, shop upgrade. And anytime I'm doing any resawing, anytime I'm uh, on the table saw doing a tall piece or even the router table, uh, I'm using that thing. I, I really like it a lot. So, 
let's uh, let's throw it back to Guy. Guy, what are some great shop made improvements versus <sighs> best purchase improvements? Best shop made improvement. Don't take mine. I don't know what it is. Yeah, how is he oh, supposed to know what it is? <laughs> don't take it. Don't take it. <laughs> I, I don't think I, I don't think I'm going to. I doubt is it. is the manifold that I put on the front of my dust collector. Oh. With yep. four four inputs and I can, you know, I've got all my machines hooked up to the thing all the time and I can just go over and open a blast gate and not have to drag a hose around anymore. It's very, very nice. Um that's the best thing that I've done for my shop that I've made. I'd have to say the best thing that I have purchased for my shop for a tool wise, I'd probably say my Incra fence for my table saw. Mm. Cheap, it is not. However, I cannot imagine life without it. Every time I go up to a table saw and I've got to bump it here or bump it there, what I call the bump and pray, <laughs> you know, I don't have to do that with my saw. It's just, it's just so nice to have that, that incremental positioning, incremental positioning, sorry, on the, uh, on the fence and also the micro adjust. It's just wonderful. If you've got the room for it, I highly recommend it. Sean, what about you? All right. So my shop improvement best made shop improvement is kind of a cop out i guess it's going to be my workbench um every project you were worried i was it. going to say my workbench no i was just joking i know oh. you wouldn't say workbench <laughs> <clears throat> but it's going to be the workbench um i use it on every single project every time i'm in the shop workbench 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 I've got a lot of things I want to change on it, but still it's the best shop improvement. Cause I, before that I was just using a regular table that had no clamping, uh, apparatuses and best purchase improvement. And it's not necessarily, well, let me say what it is. And I'll, then I'll step back on that. It's definitely got to be the, um, the Festool CT vac with the Bluetooth connector on it. Just being able to connect it easily to, my Festool items, mm. have it turn on automatically, turn off automatically, have the Bluetooth uh, power button. So if I'm seven feet away from it, I can turn it on, turn it off. Just so, so awesome. You know, I probably thinking about it again, I probably would have gone with a smaller CT unit. I think the one that I have is probably a little overkill for how I use it. Would you have a 26, 36? Uh, 36, I believe. Mm. Okay. It's the big that's, one. That's a big one. Yeah, I probably would have stepped down a little bit and saved some money, but I, I guess I was blinded by the green. But I, I think that's probably, man, it's tough. I mean, if you ask me this again in a week from now, I'll probably tell you something different. But right now, thinking about it, it that that's probably my best purchased uh, improvement just because dust collection is important to me. And having the Bluetooth, having it turn on, turn off, plug the other tools into that, it's just awesome. I, I agree with everything you just said there, Sean. I like my workbench too. I have the little Bluetooth button on my CT also. I actually bought the the kit. The aftermarket I've had, kit. I've the, yeah, I've had the the the, the mm-hmm. dust extractor for you know a couple three years, maybe about four or five years now. And uh, I think it was pretty. It was pretty cheap. It was only like seventy dollars, maybe. Oh, it's cheap for Festool. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And I added that thing on. It is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I figured for the CT36 price, it would come with it, but no, 
That's no. wishful thinking. Yeah. Even their edge guide for the for the router that I have was expensive. Oh yeah, and everything is expensive. But I, coming from the Bosch, I will tell you the edge the edge guide on Festool is amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we are you familiar with what I was talking about before? Bow Products also makes a special featherboard just for resawing. That's the squeegee one. That's the squeegee one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of that one. Um, okay. You, you know what? They, I, they I, have I, a they have a regular they have a regular featherboard too. Right. You know. Feather Pro. And now I think about it. I I made a mistake when I'm on the table saw on the router table. I'm using the other one, the Feather Pro, yeah. and I can't I can't remember what the name of the squeegee one. So I I, I got them. Um, I didn't get them confused. I was calling it both the same thing. But honestly, you could get both of them. They're not that expensive. And um, no, I, I think not. having both of them are great because they're uh, both awesome. Yeah, they're really nice. Um, we'll, we'll tell you where to send the check. Both yeah, products. Both products. Um, another, another thing that I have on both my router table, my Inker router table, and my, my Inker table saw fence are the Jessam rollers. Yes, those are nice too. Those things rock. Yeah. Expensive as all get out, but yeah. I've never used the the bow products cuz I went from a a bandsaw with a proprietary port to a bandsaw with a metric slot. So um I'm sure they're great. The Guide Pro bandsaw guide. That's what it is. It's the Guide Pro. Sorry. Okay. The Guide Pro is for the bandsaw and the Feather Pro is for the table saw router table. Yeah. Those and are both. They're both excellent, great. Yeah. Excellent. Products. Highly recommend both. Yeah, I can't. Highly recommend them. Things. Yeah. Good things yeah. about them. So. so I think the next question is mine. That's right. Sweet. This is from David. And David says. I am looking at getting, this is, a, this is a very common question. I don't think we've ever talked about it. I am looking at getting a Festool Domino machine. I was wondering which one you all use the most. They are a lot of money and I want to get both, but only one is in the budget currently. I am currently building a big green egg cart similar to Mark Spaghetti-O. How do you pronounce that? Spagnolo. <laughs> Mark Spagnolo, he's going to be, if he's, if he's listening, he's going to say, how can he not know my name? Doesn't he know who I am? And he used both in his build. I mostly will be building small tables and small cabinets. And I'm thinking of getting the 500, but was wondering what you all think. Thank you, David. All right. I don't think we've ever, we've ever tackled this before. Have we? I think we have. Yeah. We've talked not, about not the, 50, the TS-55 and the TS-75 is a direct question, but we've never, anyways. Well, I think we've talked about it, just not in a direct question like yeah, this. It's yeah. more of comparing the two. Yeah. So yeah. I do not have a DF-700, which is the big one. I've got the DF-500. And at work, we have the DF-700, but we do not have a DF-500. Actually, at work, we have a DF700 with one bit, a 12 millimeter bit, and that's it. Here's my take on it. We build a lot of large tables. I mean, like 10, 12, 14, 16 foot tables. And every now and then I'm asked to make bases for these very large tables. I have no way of making mortise and tenon joints at work other than using a router for the mortises. So 
I use that DF700 a lot. However, there are times when I really wish we had a DF500. And that's when I whip out my biscuit joiner. I have mm-hmm. a biscuit joiner at work also. And I use the hell out of that thing, mainly because I don't have a 500. Right. So, but there there are times where I still want to use biscuits other than the, uh, the 500. Uh, at home, I have never wanted for the larger one, ever. I've made some big projects and I've used integral mortise and tenons because I have a mortising machine here at home. Right. And I have no use for a 700. The 700 is nice if you're building very large projects and, you know, let's say like doors and things like that. Um, I can see it, but still, I would just save the extra money and just get a 500. I don't know. What do you guys think? We. I have a 500. I've, uh, I don't have a 700. Obviously, if I only have a 500, I don't have a 700. Um, but I don't have a desire or a need to get the 700 now that I've had the 500 for a number of years. It seems to do everything that I need. And I think there, there seems to be this, this I think, uh, common thought that, well, if I'm going to do a lot of big things, then I'll get the 700 and I can downgrade, use a dip. The problem with the smaller, the bit adapter, the problem yeah, is that 700 is a much bigger machine and it's much more, I think it's just a lot more difficult to, I don't know firsthand, it, but I it imagine. Weighs, it weighs like 185 pounds. It's a big <laughs> thing. We had a, I had to build, um, this was a Christmas time. I had to build, it was like eight, no, these were picnic benches for an indoor area made out of ash mm-hmm. and they were like a mid-century modern thing but i had to build eight picnic tables and 16 benches and mm-hmm. they were all domino together i gave myself tennis elbow yeah using it yeah using it because it was so damn heavy yeah i think that you could probably double up triple up quadruple up the big tenons the big uh, dominoes and probably be fine with uh, having enough strength you got to consider what what are you going to be using this for i i don't think you're going to be um well you are putting a big green egg on it so it would be pretty heavy but i don't know I, I it doesn't sound like to me like you're going to be stressing this uh piece to the point that you would pr- uh, damage or break those dominoes if you're using multiples of them I would probably just stick with the 500 if, and obviously that's what I've done and I haven't wanted more. So, um, Sean, how about you? I, I think you have yeah. a 500 as well, right? Yep. I have the 500. Um, what was your thought process of getting the 500 over the 700? Cause I think you're the newest, you're the person that, that is the last one to get, get it out of our group. I didn't need the 700. I mean, it's just, I, I don't do large scale pieces like that. And, and plus it was more expensive, but, uh, no, mainly it's because I, I didn't need it. You know, I don't, I don't need crazy. I don't make crazy big pieces. And if I did, I would just do traditional mortise and tenons with a router and yep. make the tenons with the dado stack if I needed it. Um, uh, but I wanted, wanted to get the 500 just so that I could knock out small scale projects, cabinets, uh, little tables, side tables, you know, mm-hmm. and it would help me in doing that. And plus it's going to be lighter and cheaper. I just didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're all on board with recommending to David to get a 500 and save, save his money. 
Yeah, I would. You know, I'd get a five if if you want to if you have a bunch of money in your budget and you want to spend it, get a five hundred, but get a get a mortising machine. Mm. Yeah, and then if it, you build and the, the next time you feel the need, you have to build a big project with with big ass mortise and tenon joints in it. Get a get a mortising machine, and yeah. use and get that instead of the seven hundred, or use a router. Um, yeah, that too. Yeah, it's cheaper. Probably has a router, plunge yeah. router. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I've got the next one. This is from Bob. I listen to two podcasts. Yours is by far the better. Professional and informative while being personable. Well, we appreciate that, Bob. Thanks, Bob. I inherited a 12-quarter, 100-inch wide, or 100-inch long, excuse me, 18-inch wide Norwegian pine slab from my 93-year-old mentor, Bert. Having been stored away under his table saw for the past 30 years, he wants to see it used. Grew locally here in southeast Minnesota. I estimated it was a sapling in about 1870, making its second growth. Hmm. It quickly became apparent neither 40 grit on a four inch hand sander nor a number five jack plane would work well, so I built an eight foot by two and a half foot router sled. Using my Bosch 1617 and a white side 6220 planing bit, I eliminated the twist and the bandsaw marks, then ran them over its sander to 80, 150, 220, applied amber shellac, and wiping varnish. While acceptable for a fireplace lentil, the resulting quality was good, but not furniture great. Have either of you all have either of you all or your colleagues done slab planing? I'm open to tackling another slab sometime when the opportunity arises. Are third party slab planers worth the considerable cost, meaning furniture grade results? If so, recommendations to consider. Bob. Hmm. So this is a there's a couple things that I noticed about this question that I'm gonna try to tackle. First being the router sled. Um, you know, I've only used the sled that I've built in my shop and not one of the nicer ones that are out on the market. I did receive uh, a very nice sled from Brent Jarvis. He's one of the fine listeners that sends us questions. Uh, he sells a kit, but I haven't had time. He sent, to he sent you one? Yeah, he sure did. We did he a, didn't uh, send sim- me one. We did <laughs> a Simple Cove uh, contest that I announced oh, on here man. that I've been listening to. You guys yeah. get all the perks. I got nothing. I got, you got <laughs> some. Uh, you got some feather boards. It sounded like. <laughs> I paid for um, those. Oh, sorry. Um, where was I? Um, but yeah. Anyway, I received a, a sled from Brent. Uh, it's really nice, but I've not had time to assemble it. Um, but he does sell those. Um, I've only done a few slabs uh, in my workbench. I did flatten my workbench and a few walnut slabs. But it's important to make sure that your sled is set up correctly and that the rails are parallel to one another. Uh, if not, you're going to have some some deep tracks that you're going to leave in the wood and not to mention that you're probably going to fight and struggle getting it flat. Um, now, even though you will line everything up perfectly, there you're still going to see some slight tracks in the board and that the sanding is going to help remove. And the better the setup, the less noticeable the tracks are. You know, I've dialed mine in every single time and it still left me with sanding to do after the fact uh, which is what you mentioned above uh now again i don't have a whole lot of experience with third-party slab planers but with them i believe comes the ease of use with things like dust collection and the flexibility and size and you can see these third-party systems uh they set up a little bit quicker and they're they have nicer components to not only hold the router but the materials that they're made out of helps prevent flexing which could be another issue that you Uh, that you dealt with in your setup. If your sled flexes, obviously you're going to have a hard time getting it flat and you're going to start to see those tracks again. If you do a lot of slab work, I would highly recommend looking at all the options for third-party sleds. 
they're just gonna they're just a nicer experience uh in my opinion i'm gonna focus on this last little bit here then i'm gonna pass it off to see what the fellows think about router sleds in general um now the last item that i wanted to talk about while reading your question is the um the grip progression you mentioned you went from 80 to 150 to 220 and that's a big, big jump from 80 to 150. You're going to want to progress through the grits from 80 to 120 to then 150 because you're going to see some some swirl marks on there, or you're going to have to sand a whole lot longer with your 150 to get the 80 grit sanding marks out if you ever do it all. So I'm in reading your question, I'm I'm not sure what you mean by it's not furniture grade. If you got it flat and you removed all the the tracks, uh, I wish we had more on what you figured was not furniture grade. Uh, but it sounded like your your planning setup wasn't dialed in just perfect and you've got tracks and you're having to sand a whole lot and it's not coming out or you possibly have swirl marks. But either way, progress through the grits and um, and dial in your router sled and you're going to have better results. But I don't want to take everything away from this question. I'm going to leave a little bit of meat on the bone for Hui. What are your thoughts on aftermarket sleds and his, uh, his issues? Oh, man. First off, I've never used a router planing sled and i've never flattened a slab before so i don't know how much i could possibly add to this um i know i mean like you said i know brent jarvis has a planing sled that he offers i believe woodpeckers has one as well is that is that right is yes um but i i don't know if the woodpeckers one is limited in terms of well obviously yeah it must be limited in terms of width and length right yeah Okay. I think they have different sizes and then you can get like extension kits and things like that. So they can, yeah. you can get pretty big. Yeah. Whereas I think Brent Jarvis's runs on linear rails. Do both of them run on linear rails? I don't know. I don't know how much I can possibly add to this other than the fact that <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I don't know. I've never used well, a planing sled like this. And that's, that's perfectly fine. I, w- I would give a, a third party or buying one a try. If I was doing it a lot, absolutely, because I think they're going to be a lot smoother. If it were a one-time thing, like flattening a workbench, I probably would just take uh, boards that have been jointed, attach them to the side of the workbench, and, and make my own uh, sled. But if this is something that he looks at doing quite often, then I would probably go with a third-party slab planer because um, the cost is going to give you ease of use and adjustability. Whereas the uh, a shop made one, you'll probably make it just for one instance and maybe never use it again. Does that make sense? Comforts in the third party stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it sounds like he wants to do more of this type of stuff. So I would probably go about the the route of of buying a third party uh, planing sled. Guy, anything you can add? I don't. I'm sorry, I couldn't add that much. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, Hui. I've never flattened a slab. I don't do slab work. I don't ever plan to do slab work. So, <clears throat> Brent, if you're listening, I, I don't ask me if I want one because <laughs> I, if you sent it to me, I would never use it. Um, I've never used a router sled. I, I, I've seen them used. Um, if it were me, and I, I did have that one time where a customer said, you know, I want this slab and I get this slab and it's all twisted and stuff, I would actually make my own because I knew, I know I don't want to spend $1,000 on something I'm only going to use once. Um, and those router, those those slab flatteners They're expensive. are really expensive. Uh, so, it depends on which 
when you buy. Brands well, that, 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 that that's true. Um, if I did, there's a there is a video on YouTube YouTube that Mark Spagnolo, yep. I got his name right this time, uh, the Wood Whisperer did on how to set up a planing sled correctly, and he did it for on his workbench build. Yep, actually, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Thank you. And he shows how to set it up so it's like dead nuts accurate. Yeah, yeah. And that'll help quite a bit, even though you still get all that right. If the planing sled isn't completely 100% perpendicular to all that, it's going to leave little marks where it, you know, it's, it, it's not the, the, the bit isn't perfectly co-planar with the rest of the, the sled. Right. And it leaves little tiny mill marks, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which to me wouldn't be a big thing because I would just scrape them out or hand plane them out. I right. wouldn't try sanding them out. I'd hit it with a scraper, get rid of most of that stuff, and then you know progress up through the grits. If you're starting at 80 grit, you don't want to go even go from 80 to 120. You want to go 80 to 100 to 120 to 150 to 180 to two. So you go through all of those when you hand sand or when you sand? If you're going to start at 80, you bet your butt I am. Interesting. I'm not going to jump from 80 to 120. I'm going to go from 80 to 100. Mm. But I rare I don't even own sandpaper less than Period. 120. Oh. Okay. So yeah. most of that stuff for me gets put through the drum sander. Sure. At work, we work with a lot of slabs, mm-hmm. but we also have a 53-inch dual drum sander, and that's where our slabs go through. Yeah. And one thing to keep in mind with your man, man-made man <laughs> sleds is sagging on your, uh, on your router, the part that holds your router. If you get to the center and you're deeper or lower than the outsides, you're going to, again, have those tracks. Yeah. Especially, so especially, why, especially over time, you're going to find things sag a little bit more. Yeah. So that's, that's where third-party items made out of metal are going to hold up better than your three-quarter-inch plywood or your melamine or MDF or whatever you're using. Yeah. Yeah. I hope All that right. Helps. Yeah. Hopefully it helps. I, I don't, I mean, I, if you enjoy that and you like the look of it and that's what you're wanting, I mean... I definitely wouldn't give it up. I mean, I, I definitely think that you can, I don't know what your setup is like, but I, I would imagine you can get pretty close to a, a perfectly smooth enough surface to where sanding is going to get you, get you the rest of the way there because the slabs that I've done, they had the tracks, but I sanded with the 80 all the way up to 220. I didn't do 100, so it's probably not as good. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, 80, 120. 150, 180, 220, and they came out good. Mm-hmm. I would consider them furniture grade. So I would, I would, if you're having that kind of problem, I would imagine that there's probably something going on with your sled. Just my guess. But anyway, that's, uh, hopefully that helps. Hui, what do you got for us? All right. So this question is from Matt. He says, Hi, guys. Love the podcast. I've got a question about a ceiling mounted air filter. I have a small, 200-ish square foot shop in the basement. I was looking at something like the Rikon 62 
dash 400 since it's a small area. However, if I step up to the 62-100, which is two and a half times the price, I can get a carbon filter for it. It's not an option for the smaller unit. My question is, with my shop being in the house, is it worth being able to get carbon filters to help get rid of some of the fumes from finishes? Or is the bigger unit just overkill in such a small shop? I'm not spraying conversion varnish or anything like that. Usually it's wipe on finish on small boxes and things, if that makes a difference. Also, the HVAC in, is in the corner of the shop and the basement outside my shop door is a finished living area, which is why I want to put in air filtration. Thanks, Matt. Um, so I, I, have a, I have a newer air filter and it does have a carbon filter on it or uh, activated charcoal or something like that. I can't, I can't remember, but it's, it's made to pull out um, a lot of the stinky smells from uh, varnishes and finishes and, 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 you know, things like conversion varnish. But to be honest, after I tried spraying conversion varnish in my shop, not water-based conversion varnish, but the, uh, catalyzed stuff that's very stinky. Um, I will probably never do that again. It was too, <laughs> it was, it was too overwhelming, even with the doors open, a garage door is open, plenty of cross ventilation, that air filter going on. It was still too stinky. It was, it, it was overwhelming and I'll probably never do that again. Um, that was probably or definitely will not. I will definitely <laughs> never answer. do that again. Let me just be clear. I'm not, I'm just not going to do it again. If I was spraying outside to be a different story, but, or in a spray booth, different story, but again, not in the house, not in the garage. So I, I wonder, I, I'd like to, <laughs> If you're just doing wiping varnish, I wonder if just open if you have a window in your garage in your basement, you know, a uh, uh, a high enough window that just sort of tilts forward, uh, adding some fans and getting some cross ventilation, uh, if possible, it probably would be enough, and maybe not spend the two and a half times the amount for the bigger unit that has a carbon filter. I would also suggest looking online. Um, I was looking at this a uh, while back when I had a smaller unit wall mounted or excuse me, ceiling mounted air filter. And I was looking for an aftermarket aftermarket filters, uh, washable ones, replaceable ones, the carbon filter uh, for the for the ceiling mounted unit as well. So there are aftermarket filters that you can buy. And I might look into possibly getting without having to spend two and a half times for the bigger unit, just finding a place that will custom cut a filter for you. That's a possibility. I don't know if whether or not your size is kind of weird where they they won't even bother with that small of a unit, but it's worth a look before you go ahead and just plunge for the uh, more expensive one. For me, I, considering that I'm never going to be using conversion varnish, um, lacquer-based conversion varnish again, um, I would probably go with the smaller unit and not bother with the increase in price for a carbon filter. Guy, do you, do you have a ceiling-mounted air filter? I think you do, right? Yes. Yes. I've had one for 20-some-odd years. And when I bought mine, there was only like, two of them available on the market in the, in the consumer arena without, you know, spending $20,000. Uh, and mine is a jet. And I think it's not, I think jet now makes two different ones. They make a small one and a big one. Mine would be the big one. 
Um, it was like four or $500 when I bought it 20 years ago. Um, anyways, I use that thing all the time. It stays on pretty much all the time in the shop when I'm in there. I keep it on low speed and it's always circulating the air. I've never had a need for the charcoal filter, except maybe there are times, you know, let's say if I had a big bowl of chili the night before and <laughs> I needed the charcoal filter to help get rid of any smells that may be in the shop the next day from that. <laughs> but I don't think wiping varnish is that stinky. I it's not so, like yeah. you're spraying lacquer. Right, um, right. I think that if you just open up, a, like we said, and you get some cross ventilation going, now that's not always possible. I mean, here in Indiana, it can get it can get pretty darn cold, and I'm not opening up my window for anything in the winter time. Right. <clears throat> so, you know, I'll I'll use a wiping varnish, and it doesn't smell that bad. It won't stink up my whole house. Right. And your girl and your shop is connected to your to Yeah, your my house. shop is connected to I mean, right I mean the 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 garage door, the man door, or the garage entry door, I guess is what officially what it's called into the house. It, it goes right into my kitchen. Mm-hmm. If I go turn right, it goes to my kitchen. If I go left, it goes into my, my dining room, which is the front of the house. Right. So it's like right there. And it doesn't stink up any of that stuff. The stinkiest thing that I've ever used out there would be water locks. Oh yeah. Yeah. Water locks. Yeah. I kind of like the smell anyways, <laughs> but water locks is probably the most pungent of all your wiping varnishes, but even then it won't dominate the house. Nothing like a, a like a, like a lacquer, a, right. you know, a solvent based lacquer conversion varnish. Would do. Yeah. Sean. Yeah. I love the look of a water locks finish, but hate the smell of it. Ugh. It's gross. <laughs> um, man, this is tough. It's got that old, it gives it, it kind of has that old timey antique smell to it. <laughs> that won't go away. That won't go away. Um, this is tough. I mean, if you knew for sure that it was going to work for two times the price, because I'm always skeptic of these things, you know, putting the carbon filters is going to actually get rid of all this smell. I mean, theoretically. Well, I, I think, I think that the, it, it's also a larger blower. On the more expensive, yeah, ones. but I think he's primarily concerned about the the carbon filters. Yeah, though. yeah, you're right, you're right. So, I uh, if it worked, I would easily pay two times the price for something that yeah. I knew was going to help remove the smell. Yeah, I just don't have have enough experience to. I don't own one of these uh, air cleaners yet. I've been looking to get one. My mini split does a fantastic job of collecting a lot of the dust. Um, that was a joke, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. If it worked, I would easily pay two times the price in a heartbeat if I knew it was going to work just because water locks. I mean, I, I, I'll put on wiping varnish on, you know, a cabinet or a table and I, the entire garage smells like it. So if I could let that run for two hours or whatever to get that smell out of there, I would easily pay two times the price. But does it, does it, does it get into your house? Um, it only gets in the entryway when I open the door and close it and it's there for about a minute or two, then it's gone. But no, it doesn't. Okay. You don't smell it. Like if you walk into the kitchen or some yeah. other part of the house, you definitely don't smell it. Mm. Um, no, it doesn't. But it would be nice if the if someone has the unit with the carbon filters, let us know if they really work. Yeah, I didn't even know they had such a thing. 
I mean, I know you yeah. could get carbon filters for your house. Yeah. I, didn't, I guess I didn't put one and one together. Yeah, two well, and two. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that they, they put them in those, you know, overhead filter units. Yeah. Because it, I would like to know if they do work for when I buy mine, because I would definitely pay two times the price for something if it worked. Uh, so my unit has a carbon filter on it or charcoal filter, whatever it is. I think it's charcoal. not Charcoal. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it's a charcoal filter, not a carbon filter. But I have a charcoal filter on mine. But here again, I'm I used conversion varnish and it honestly, it didn't matter. It still stunk. It was terrible. And I still had a lot of cross ventilation. Now, if it were wiping varnish, I don't know if I would be able to tell the difference if it was on or if it wasn't on, you know, because I don't I, I, I'm with you, guy. I, I don't really think it smells that bad, you know, because it's diluted and it, I, I don't think it's that stinky. It just doesn't it just doesn't permeate the air the same way. And then it sounds like to me your unit, it, it just doesn't work for removing smell, <laughs> Maybe. which is helpful, which is helpful for Matt. I mean, you've yeah. got a pretty nice. Uh, what is that? A. Uh, Axiom something or other in 5,000? Yeah, yeah, 700. No, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I have no, uh, yeah, it's an it's Axiom, but I can't, yeah. You know, it's a very nice unit and it, it works very well to remove the dust. In terms of, I, I, I just, I can't tell. I don't know because the only time I used it and I was really concerned about the stinkiness was when I was using conversion varnish. And that was just so overwhelming. That I don't think anything other than a spray booth with, you know, a thousand CFM of airflow going across, it would have changed that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like it just wouldn't, I don't think it would have changed anything. So I, you know, I don't know when I'm, when I'm using uh wiping varnish or wiping poly, I don't turn that thing on because the smell doesn't bother me that much. And I don't want, uh, I don't want the air blowing and, and a whole bunch of dust going everywhere anyway. So yeah, okay. there you go. <laughs> All right, guy, I think you have the next one. All right, this question is from Joel, and Joel writes, Hey, fellas, I wanted to get your advice on something. I inherited a Delta DC 380 15-inch planer that has a newer brushless motor on it and straight knives for a cutter head. It's a beast, but it's a big piece of equipment for my shop, which is just the size of a one-car garage. I'm thinking about selling it and downgrading to a DeWalt 735 with a helical head. Am I crazy? What might I end up sacrificing if I go with the DeWalt after working with the Delta for a few years now? My biggest concerns with keeping the Delta is the potential upcoming maintenance as it is an older machine, overall size and lack of storage in the industrial rolling base. Joel. Well, the DC 380 Delta 15 inch planer is a is an older model. It is a beast. What I don't understand is that it says he says it has a newer brushless motor on it. Those motors don't have brushes on them. I don't think do they? They're it's a regular uh, induction motor. Yeah, that's right. It is. So they wouldn't have brushes on them, right? No, it shouldn't. Brushes are only on like universal motors. I thought. It's, I don't know. I well, may be brushless I mean, then. Well, if it's if it's a brushless universal I motor, joking, I mean, by the way. It, it's going to be like super loud. Yeah. Versus yeah. the Dewalt seven thirty five. A seven thirty five is like their twelve or thirteen inch. That's that is not the four post planer, is it? The seven thirty five is their nicer four post. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was like a 745. Anyways, 
And then I, then I, then I stand corrected. Either way, I own a DeWalt 735 with the helical heads. And by the time you put it on a stand, it's going to take up as a big a footprint as that DC 380 15 inches. Maybe what he was, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt guy. Uh, yeah. Maybe what he's referring to is that the fact that the 735 is not brushless, right? It's a, I think that has a no, universal. It's a, uni- it's a universal motor, which means it has brushes on it. Right. Whereas this one, the Delta is, uh, is an induction mode. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what he was uh, referring he's to. Saying, he's saying his Delta 15 inch planer had, and he said right here, has a newer brushless motor on it. Yeah, that no, it's not a newer motor. <laughs> yeah, unless, unless it's an aftermarket thing, somebody replaced it. I don't know, but, yeah, but it wouldn't matter. Know. You would still use an induction motor. It does, uh, anyway, all right. Yeah, so it's 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 going to be a much quieter motor. You have mm-hmm. to think table saw motor versus router motor, right? Which is quieter mm-hmm. than one on your table saw, of course, unless you have a mm-hmm. shop like a like a job site. <laughs> table right, saw, right. then then that's universal motor, but uh, yeah. I think you're sacrificing myself. I think you're sacrificing a hell of a lot going from the 380 to the 735. First of all, it's going to be 80 times noisier. The second thing is with that 735 with the helical head, you can only take off a skinny 16th of an inch at a time mm. if you're lucky okay. because of that motor. And the Delta 15 inch plate, and you should be able to take, you know, three thirty seconds of an inch off at a single pass, which is quite a difference. Um, and it's going to be quieter. So, and I don't think you're going to, I mean, you take a 735 and he's saying, you know, I, I put a base on it and I can have storage underneath. It's not going to take up any smaller of a footprint. Than the than the DC three hundred and eighty is. I don't think, anyways. Maybe a little bit, but not much. It really depends on if you've got the big outfeed tables on the the Delta or not. But you can take those off too. Yes, you don't have yep. to have them. So, and you and you can take it take the Delta three hundred and eighty off of its stand and, and build a, well, a cabinet for it. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. What what do you think, Sean? Hmm. You get a, I guess, a touch smaller footprint, perhaps, with the seven thirty five. But going from a a Dewalt seven thirty four to my Jet, I mean, it's a big difference. Like guy was saying, you can go from overheating your Dewalt, having to wait an hour for it to cool back down before you can use it, to running through your 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 Delta and not have any issues. You do have the larger capacity. You don't have the helical head, so that could be pain in the butt sometimes but if, if it were me i would stick with the the delta and yeah, go but, the, could, but couldn't he the, the amount of money that he would spend on a helical head for a 735 couldn't he get a helical head for the delta dc 380 well of, of course he could but you're also considering the fact that he was going to sell that that delta to t- to make up for yeah, some of that true 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 yeah yeah i mean point, definitely absolutely you, i'm not saying he has to stick with the straight knots but i'm saying right now yeah, yeah. if you're comparing apples to the DeWalt. And, and truthfully, it, you can take those rollers off. If you took those rollers off, I mean, the footprint is almost the same. The as infeed, infeed and outfeed, outfeed uh, tables. Correct. Yep. I'm sorry. Infeed, outfeed uh, tables, um, rollers, whatever you want to call them. If you take those off, footprint's almost identical to the 735 once you put a cabinet underneath it. 
I, I just I don't think you're really saving that much. I don't I don't I don't think so either. Yeah. To be honest I, with you. I, I, I would think, rather have I would rather have the 15 inch yep. capacity, which I don't think is that big of a deal, 15 versus 13. Um mm-hmm. but like I said, you you got a better motor on it. It's that motor, and, yeah. And some people will argue that the straight knives are better to have than the helical head. Yep. On a planer. On the joiner, you know, that's I'm going the opposite sport. on that, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I, I like my helical head. <laughs> yeah, I like my helical heads too. Yeah. Um but like I said, that's that's my take on it. Yeah. I, I think we're all pretty much in the, in agreement. I, I I would do the same. I would keep it. I'd keep it. And if I yeah. want, and, and and if you've got you know extra cash, I, I would I would spring on um on a helical head for the for the fifteen inch planer. Um, they're they're not that difficult to to swap out. Nope. So, all right. I think it's back to me for last uh, question. That's, that's yeah. the last question. Already. Last question. We're having so much fun. We are such a blast. <laughs> all right. This is from Andrew. Hi, fellas. You answered my question a while back on dining chairs design, re the lower stretchers. That was very helpful. Thanks. I prototyped a chair and am now on to batching out the set in white oak. While I was doing the prototype, I pattern routed the back legs and found that I was getting a fair amount of tear out due to grain direction. So I invested in a compression flush trim bit, thinking that this would solve my problems. I'm finding that this isn't the magical solution that I thought it would be. I'm still facing issues with the bit chewing into the grain and would ordinarily be in the wrong direction. A little background information. I don't have a router table. I'm doing this handheld, taking light passes. I've got the speed slowed way down on the router and I'm using a two and a quarter horsepower router, which should be able to handle this kind of thing. Am I missing something? Do I need a router table for this to work? Should I reject technology altogether and live in the forest? Any advice would be appreciated, (laughs) Andrew. Well... (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure about living in the forest, but you know, I think there's a couple of questions in this one from Andrew and I'm going to start with uh, the quick one in, do I need a router table for this to work? And my answer is it depends. You know, if you're able to support the plunge router, if you're using a plunge router on the workpiece without it being dangerous, I see no reason for that uh, from that perspective to get a, a router table. Now, what the router table does offer you in certain situations are better dust collection and perhaps the use of a pivot pin, which really helps when you're doing flush trim work when you enter the workpiece. Um, you know, if I'm not able to use my router table, if the piece is too large, um, I often leave the template just a little bit long so that I can start the bearing on the extended template and slowly push it into the waste that I'm removing. So again, it, it just depends on if you need a router table. For this, it doesn't sound like you need it. Uh, the second question is about preventing tear out. Now, I won't cover every scenario on this so that Hui and Guy can help you out a little bit as well. But I will say um, it'll obviously help if you read the green direction on the piece. And if you use a flush trim bit, maybe try to get one that has a bearing on the top and the bottom so that you're not having to remove a bit or flip something over if you can really avoid it. Uh, obviously, you know, if you're starting to get a lot of tear out, put the template on the other side and route in the correct direction. Uh, Now, I have had good luck with routing against the grain using a compression flush trim bit, but I made sure to do a couple of things with first being I removed as much waste from the board as possible. I'm talking about I'll typically leave no more than a 32nd to a 16th that I need to route away. You know, I paid a lot for those compression bits and they're really expensive. So I try to keep them as sharp 
as long as possible. So I remove as much waste as I can. Next, if I'm still not sure that the the tear out of the tear out possibilities, I did find and read a little trick from Chris Swars about um, take water with a little bit of denatured alcohol mm. and wet the area that's going to give me trouble. Let it soak in for about twenty to thirty seconds. Make sure a majority of the waste is gone, and then I'm going to route that using the flush trim bit against the grain, oftentimes, and it it does a good job. I'm not sure what that denatured alcohol does to that water to make a difference, but it's something I've, that I've, I've just used. I've just used water. Cause if you're going uphill, regardless of grain direction, if you're going uphill on a, uh, on a piece, you know, like on an outside curve, mm-hmm. it's like doing end grain. Yeah. So the, All right, the, so- the, the water softens it. I've never used denatured alcohol in it, but I've used this water. Okay. Well, give it a try. I guess with that in mind, um, Guy, what do you got for us? Uh, I don't think you need a router table. If if the thing a router table is going to give you, it's going to be a little easier to do it if depending on what kind of form you're using. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're pattern routing something like that, I mean, just drill a hole in a bench and put your router up underneath there and stick the router up through the hole. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a router table. You just need to have the router upside down on a larger work surface to, to hold the piece. It's just a little bit easier than trying to balance the router, like Sean said. Um, even with the compression bit, now I've got the white side compression bit, mm-hmm. which is a beast of a router bit, and it's big and it's heavy. So I wouldn't slow it down too much, not to its lowest speed, but somewhere in the middle there. Um, keep it spinning fairly fast, but not too fast because rim speed is, is going to be pretty high on it. But anyways, put it in about the middle speed range of your router and you should be okay. If you're still getting that tear out, the water thing, like Sean said, is a, is a big deal. Uh, I've done that quite a few times where, where like I said, if you're going uphill with the compression, but it, it's like cutting end grain. Yep. So it'll it'll tear out really easy, even with the compression bit. So yeah. put a little water on there, and that'll go away. Yeah, I'm wondering. He says here, I have I've got the speed slowed way down on the router. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's why that's why I mentioned you want to speed it up a little bit. Yeah, I think maybe he might be going a little too slow. But I yeah. agree with you, uh, guy. You don't need to have the router table, but it will help a lot if that router is mounted. Uh, upside down on some type of flat surface, you're going to be able to guide that uh, that piece through the router bit a lot easier. Uh, you're going to be uh, less likely to uh, to tilt the piece, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's a big thing uh, because if you're if you do tilt in, you take too big of a cut that could cause a lot of chatter. You could get a lot of tear out from that, and plus you could just ruin your piece by just simply tilting it in. So uh, I think for the most part, you guys have covered everything other than, you know, my main concern was the router speed. There's a great possibility you might be going a little too slow, in which case you will get tear out if you're if you're not um, uh, if you're not ex- uh, ejecting the chips fast enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hopefully that helps, Andrew. Uh, those compression bits are pretty nice. Oh, yeah. um, I've actually when I made my bar stools, I actually I routed the entire piece from the template i'm talking in grain everything and made replicas using the compression bit 
mm-hmm. and they were perfect. I just got You're lucky. Using I guess. the white side bit. Yeah, it's yeah. the. Um, but the bits yeah. bits version of it with their special. I am now the asterisk more. coating. The original when I did my bar stools, it was just the white side. Now it's the asterisk coated. Ooh, Mr. Fancy that, Pants. That's right. Now it's coated with Astra. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I uh, think that's all of the questions. Let's talk about what we have going on in our shop. And um, I think I'm going to ask Hui, what do you got for us? Well, I didn't do much in my shop this week because I wasn't in my shop this week. I was in Tennessee. All right, guy. <laughs> I went to Hendersonville, Tennessee to Greg Pennington's shop. He's a Windsor chair maker. And uh, I got to spend five days making a comb back rocker. It was a lot of fun. It was almost, well, not almost. It was exclusively hand tools. So a lot of draw knifing, spoke shaving, travishers and scrapers. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, spent a lot of time building that chair, probably about uh, 10 hours every day and um, got to come home with a beautiful comb back rocker that uh, is sitting in my shop waiting to get painted. So that's what I got going on. Guy, how about you? What do you got going on, man? Um, actually, I do have something going on in my shop. I'm building a range hood for my kitchen. Yeah, it looks really good. It's very exciting. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> um, there's not there's not much to it. I've, actually, I'm done with it. I'm, I've got just waiting for the damn insert thingy. You know, I've got the measurements. I think I know what size I've got to make the hole and everything. But yeah. uh, I've got that going on. I at work. I've always got a bunch of stuff going on. I built a, an eight-legged credenza that took a couple of days. I just build a lot of stuff here and there at work. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. You know, they give me a work order, and I, I usually build it in a couple of days, mm-hmm. unless I'm training somebody, and then then it takes longer. So, what about you, Sean? Uh, since our last podcast, I went on a lumber run and got roughly 60 board feet of walnut. So I got it setting in the shop. Really, really nice stuff too. Um, it's not super wide, but what you going to make? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to, I want to make a credenza like I've been saying, but I don't know if I'm going to use this walnut for that or if I have enough. Um, but the next project that I'm currently designing is a wall cabinet for the bathroom. I've got a couple of bathrooms. I need to put some cabinets in the last wall cabinet I made for the bathroom was that walnut and quilted maple many many years ago about four years ago so i'm designing another one that i'm going to use uh bobinga and bird's eye maple for hmm. so combination so they're going to be like furniture grade cabinets it's not like a white painted bathroom cabinet. no yeah yeah it's going to be furniture grade nice yeah i'd nice. consider you have to use you have some. to use a special finish to protect from the the well, let's just say the fecal particles that float around. <laughs> Does that yeah, I've affect, got, I've got that uh, affect finishes? Yeah, I've got fecal off. That I <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how uh, how seven or eight coats of a satin armor seal will hold up. Yeah. Off fecal. I've got a. I, I've got one in my bathroom. I built 
oh, geez, it's got to be 25 years ago. And it's got, you know, wipe on poly on it and it's fine. Yeah. The, I think the, it'll be the, fine. The, the fecal particles haven't damaged it yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, One of them are going right next to a shower. So I'm going to see. I may change up. I don't know. It depends on where I put this. I got a half bath and a full bath. I may, I don't know where it's going to go. Use, use spar varnish. Yeah, well, it depends on where I'm gonna. It depends on where I'm gonna put it. If I put it in the half bath, I won't have to worry about it. Yeah, but if you're putting in a room where you're, you know, you're taking, you know, like long hot showers, you know, there's a lot of steam in there. Use a use a spar varnish. Yeah, well, if I put it in that bathroom, I will, perhaps. Yeah, I may make two. I don't know. Make it yeah. crazy. Ooh. But yeah, that's all I've got going on. Of I need to. Uh, I, I was out there cleaning up the past couple of days. I've let it go for the past two or three projects, and so I'm pulling the workbench out, pulling the liner saw stand out, cleaning everything up. It was a mess. All right, I think that will do it for this show. Please remember, this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have questions that you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page over at woodshoplifepodcast.com. Click the contact link, fill out the form, and we will get it. Or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We'd also like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. If you've not done that yet, please do so because it really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly support and appreciate the feedback. And I almost got that wrong. Uh, <laughs> you can reach me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube. What about you, Hui? Where can these wonderful people find you? alabamawoodworker.com and at alabama woodworker on the uh, on the uh, social medias guy yeah just guys woodshop on uh, guyswoodshop.com there you go awesome yeah. thanks for listening we will see you in a couple of weeks Bye-bye. see ya guys <laughs>